But how do you, how do you do that? Like when, like aspects of the life or the world are not so much. I'm not necessarily saying like for us individually or for anyone individually, um, but you have like, say, maybe like as an example, like the environmentalist type of person mm-hmm. who might say, it's like, how can you live a, a good life or how can you flourish while the world is being, you know, whatever you would want to put to it. Somebody that is ultra into like um, politics and stuff like that. Like, how can you? live a good life and flourish with all of this government corruption. Yeah. And you could keep going like in terms of people that are ultra concerned about uh, like culture, technology. So, you know, I mean, you could go through a hundred of these type of things. Is the dichotomy of control? Like, is this what's up to us? What's not up to us? enough because I don't know I'm not too troubled by I'm not blind to some of the problems in the in the world I mean I'm blind to probably many of them and many of them I'm not you know super knowledgeable but it's not that I'm um, naive to the suffering to the problems to the imperfection type of stuff but I generally don't feel, I don't know, in the way of realistic expectations, I don't necessarily, maybe it's I don't necessarily see like a Plato's Republic. You know, I don't know that I think of Marcus Aurelius writing, I've, I've, I mentioned it many times, but I think mm-hmm. it's just a wise thing. Don't go around expecting a perfect world. Um, I don't know. Do you ever think about that? I got a question, you know, somewhat, somewhat related to that. And, uh, probably like many people, I have family members that are ultra worried about, um, you know, a lot of different things. Mm. Yeah. I, I, um, I definitely can attest to that. Like I've, I've struggled with that, man. Because there is, there's an infinite list of things that you could potentially put on your to-do list. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I ran into a wall with this last year because I went through a phase, I think I I told you this before, I went through a phase after university where I was kind of kind of not really into my work and just really wanted to take some time off and ended up getting a little lazy with things and uh, decided that that wasn't good, so decided to change it and... um so I started basically 
just demanding more of myself, really s- small, like a little, just a little bit more. Can I do this? And can I do that? And then I kept adding on to it for like two to three years where I, where now I'm like, you know, I have a pretty big role at work and obviously I got the strong stoic and I got this podcast. But what, what was interesting is I reached a wall where I couldn't get all the work done. And uh, <laughs> I did like a little series on this on the strong stoic, a couple episodes on this that man, you can drive yourself freaking crazy with all of the self-imposed obligations that you put on yourself. And it's not to say that things like climate change or animal rights or any of this stuff is, is it's not to say it's not important, but you're only one person. It's like that list can grow so much. Like I, I often think about sometimes you get these, um, say you get a vegan and then you get like a climate activist. And if, if you see videos of these people online and one of their points is always like, well, like, don't you care? Don't you care about animal welfare? And don't you care about this? And don't you care about that? And both of those people have the same perspective, not, you know, uh, in the specifics, but from a, an abstract view, they both think that the problem that they think is the most important is the most important. And everyone should care about that problem. And I think it's just impossible. It's impo- like, you don't have enough time, man. You don't have enough time to, to like really do your quote, quote, best at everything. And what's, the good thing is, is that you don't have to because we have a society filled with a lot of people that care about different things. And that's why, you know, something like a capitalist system where you have this decentralized idea of what's most important in a society, it allows that to kind of come to fruition in some extent. It's not perfect. But um, but I think that the fact that there's so many of us is actually an encouraging thought to me because it means that I don't have to care about everything. And it's not because I shouldn't care. It's that I... I practically cannot care and i think the christians get this right because they have the idea of well there's a there's a god and some things are just like call it a deity call it a supernatural whatever you want to call it it doesn't matter but the christians have this idea built into the philosophy where it's like at the end of the day man sometimes you just got to accept what they would say i guess god's grace and and just accept that there's things that's not up to you and that uh there's things that are above you I suppose you could say there's things that you just it's not up to you to it's not within your power it's not your responsibility in in some sense because you're only a man you know yeah it's um it seems like it's a difficult pill to swallow for so many of us like I think of um Sometimes like if you, you know, you read a quote or something like that, that has stood the test of time and take it like super serious, you know, like I mentioned, you know, what's up to us, what's not up to us. And it's like, take that as, oh, wow. Like me as a human being, I'm going to really have a strong desire to do the opposite of that. You know, so it's like, Assume that he's speaking directly to me, like, hey, we have a problem, Josh. Come in my office. And uh, it is an interesting thing, though. But then it's like, um, I don't know. If you speak to someone that is, like, 
very concerned about all sorts of issues. Maybe in some way it's, maybe it's even related to their job or like whatever it may be. It's like, how do you know when it um, becomes unhealthy? How do you recognize when it's, you know, leading you in an opposite direction of like how you want to lead your life? You know, if you will, I remember um, something that stuck with me from many years ago. And it was talking about, you know, how if there's a natural disaster somewhere and it's basically all over the news coverage, you know, for, for weeks and weeks. And the person was saying, you know, once you're aware of the issue and you're knowledgeable of it, you know, unless continuing to watch it, like is going to lead you to support in some way in terms of monetarily or, you know, it's going to lead to some sort of action, then it's not beneficial to keep like watching this reoccurring train wreck, you know, unless it necessarily, um, and the person wasn't saying to, you know, avoid all news and avoid, you know, it wasn't, that type of thing. It's not what I'm talking about it, but it was, you know, once you're informed, then it's, I don't, I don't know. You have to ask the question, like, what is this doing for me in terms of everything that we're doing? Like, what is this doing for me? Why am I investing my precious time in, you know, X, Y, or Z? Yeah. I, I wonder sometimes you think about things like that with the news global news that everyone is just so focused on. I really wonder what the Stoics would have said about that, you know, because they, they're, they're, this wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. Like all of, all of this ancient philosophy that we all love and try and adhere to, it's like, it, it wasn't, it wasn't even considering the fact that we would have as much international connection as we do right now and how much like the free flow of information, like how much of that advice is is assuming that you are in a relatively small country and that you know you have a family and you probably have a community around you like how much of that is built around that assumption and that's yeah. not nothing because it's almost like the opposite is happening now where like so many people are so focused on again things like climate change and I'm not saying that's a bad thing of course but we have this viewpoint where it's like what's the biggest issues that humanity has and we're all so focused on that, but we're so disconnected from the local level that like a lot of people don't even know their neighbors, don't, would, doesn't even know the events that goes on in your community, like are not getting involved in that level, yet you're you know, so focused on the, these, these bigger issues. So I, I do wonder what they would have to say about that. And I, I can't help but think that they would actually tell you, no, 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 focus on your local level of concern. Like what, what is directly in front of you? And it's not, not to say that you shouldn't have perspective on the bigger picture, but at the end of the day, I think the things that you come face to face with on a daily basis, those are your problems. Those are your opportunities for kindness, for virtue. And if you go searching for the far and wide, you're, you're missing the most important element of the philosophy, which is it's, a, it's about this. It's not about that per se. The idea is if you align this, Everything else will fall in line eventually if we all did that. Dude, I, I love that, man. I think that is such a great point. You know how you have um, 
and Stoicism and many other traditions where you're expanding these circles of concern out. And it's not necessarily concern, but it's like connection and how we how we treat. It's continuing to go out to realize our interconnectedness with the entire, you know, human human race. And, you know, and everything, the world, nature, you could put everything in there. But I wonder from a responsibility standpoint, like you're talking about, of how do we bring that in? Like you brought up Christianity in terms of, you know, it's bear your cross, you know, not not necessarily the world's, but it's like in terms of responsibility, you you know, your, your neighbors, your house, like your small community. Um, there was a guy on, uh, Joe Rogan a few months back. He's a, he's got a regenerative farm. I can't remember his name, but I wanted to go visit it. Yeah. It's actually not too far from where, where I'm at. And he said, many of the people that he knows, like young people that get into regenerative farming, so it's this very environmentally friendly, natural way of, of, you know, farming that respects the animals, the land, et cetera. And he says that many of the people that, that he knows that get into this, they're just miserable. They're really unhappy because they're trying to save the world and they're trying to, you know, noble causes, trying to influence and, and shape things where... He looks at it a different way. He's trying to save his farm. You know, he's looking at it very, very small. And I think we've spoke about that before. How do we think small, you know, and big and, you know, have all these multiple perspectives? I want to throw a quote at you, actually. Let's do it. Um, Well, actually, first, I want to say that that's something I struggle a lot with or have in the past. And I'm I'm working on it. I think I'm getting better at it because, uh, you know, you get focused on your work. For, for me anyway, I'm very work-oriented. And every now and then I'll get a call from someone in the family, maybe my brother, mother, father, my sister, something like that. And um, it's normal, like I'm, so I'm in the middle of work and I get this phone call and I'm so focused on work. And man, for pretty much forever, that would just upset me. I'd be like, like, I don't have time for this. Like I, I got to get this work done. And so I think it was probably about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I sat down and I said, that's so freaking dumb. Like, these are the people that are the closest to me in the world, and I'm getting pissed off because they're calling me during work hours. The During work hours doesn't even really matter. It's like that they're calling me. So I thought that was so weird. So anyways, one of the ways that I dealt with that is I, whenever I see a call, and I don't do this for everyone, of course, it's the people within my circle of concern. If I get a call from someone, unless it's like something that's really urgent or or like it's something that really needs to be done i'll actually tell myself answering this phone call is the most important thing right now Mm. and man i answer the phone and i'm not i'm not like trying to get them to hang up right away so i can go back to work i'm just i'm there and i'm listening because my whole thing is they're calling me they probably need something perspective opinion just a chat maybe they're having a bad day maybe they won't even say they're having a bad day but they just want to chat with me so uh anyways that's just just some practical advice from someone who's a an asshole um <laughs> the, the the quote i wanted to bounce off you is it's a it's a lyric from an eagle song it's from take it easy because i think it applies to this uh there's a lyric in there that goes don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy 
I think that's what you're talking about. It's like you get this idea, for example, something like climate change, and you're so focused on this, and you're on this train, right? And you're trying to do good in the world. And it's like, how do you know when, you know, you're a bit too focused on that? It's when it starts driving you crazy. It's when it starts influencing every conversation, every interaction. Like you can't help but bring up that you're a vegan every time you talk with someone, no matter the context. Like when it consumes your thinking and you you can't even connect with someone because of that, I think that's when it becomes a bit too much. But uh, that's a cool quote. I like that. I think it applies. Yeah, I, I do as well. I appreciate that example you brought up, though, of really just the human thing. But I think it connects with some previous conversations we, uh, for the listeners, talked about how to be free according to the Stoics and some of that type of stuff is maybe in the category of like the discipline of perception. And you were basically doing it right there in the way of I'm getting a phone call from a family member. Like that is objective. This is not a good use of my time. Now it's some sort of subjective type of thing that we bring in there because of X, X, Y, and Z. But it's like, how do we, and like the Stoics might call that an impression and it's, we're called to test those. Oh, like, is that true? Like, it, you know, because we might, it, it might be without outside of our control in terms of those impressions. Like the initial, if we're in the midst of a to-do list or, you know, deadline at the end of the day or something like that, maybe that's a natural type of impression that pops up that I don't have time for that right now. And then you can test it and align it against your principles of how you want to live. And wow, this is actually based on my principles and how I want to lead my life. This is actually the most important use of my time or the best use of my time in this particular moment. And that type of stuff is um, so valuable of like reframing and testing those initial uh, impressions. And sometimes it's uh, connected with a desire, like something we want or an aversion, something we don't want to happen. And maybe some of these things that we've been talking about, like the real problems in the world, they're aversions. They're things that we simply just don't want it to be that way. And sometimes the only move is to work to let go or at least loosen the grip on that um, aversion. Like how do we accept what is in this particular moment? It doesn't mean that if we have agency to do something about it, that we don't do something about it, but we don't necessarily let that desire or aversion bring us from a place of freedom to a place of like misery or insanity, you know? Yeah. I love it, man. And I was so confused for years too, because I'd see people at work or something and they'd get a call from someone in their family and they'd be just excited, like so happy to to get a call. (laughs) And I'm like, God, like, don't you want to focus on your work? And anyways, it's, it's changed the perspective. Once you do it, once you practice it enough, something interesting happens too, is that it starts to become actually who you are. Because now when I get a phone call, sometimes I still get that initial, depending where I am, what I'm doing that day. Sometimes I'll get that initial, uh, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta work. And then I flip it. But a lot of times now I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm happy. I'm like, oh, like this person's calling me. I get to chat with them for a bit. 
you yeah. know, and, and it's, so it, it, it does, it can change, even though I think sometimes you'll still get those impressions. But uh, I, I think I had another example that really aligned what you're talking about there in terms of like what's most important and how to keep that perspective. Because I think a lot of times we have this value system and a lot of times for most people, I think it's your family's probably up there, but a lot, sometimes you're not confronted with those decisions often enough to the point where you're focused on maybe a secondary priority, such as focus on your work. And you're so focused on, on this that you, you, you kind of lose sight for a minute that there's actually something more important, another level up on the hierarchy. And the example I'm talking about is I had a guy last week on a project show up uh, at 7.30 in the morning and we're just doing our morning meeting and the guy's sick, right? He can't even, can't even breathe. He came in, he has a mask on and, and he's an older guy too. He's, he's in his sixties. And, uh, and he said, he said, I'm feeling sick. And I said, Jesus, you look terrible. And we, we kind of needed him that day, right? Like we, we did cause we were a little short staffed. Uh, and so I was confronted with that dilemma a little bit there. It's like, I've been focusing so hard for the last month on getting this project done. And that's, that's my daily thing. That's what I'm consumed by. That's what keeps me going. That's where the meaning is right now. But if you were to take me aside and ask me, well, Brandon, is there anything more important than that project? I'd say, well, of course. I mean, health and safety of the employees and family and whatever. But when you're absorbed into the secondary most, most, let's say it's the second most important thing of concern, for lack of a better phrase, you lose sight that actually the fact that someone is coming in sick and has to work out in the cold and has to suffer through that unnecessarily just because that's probably not the most important thing. You know what? You should go home. We'll be okay. We'll manage without you for today. Go home, recover. And, and so you're confronted with these things all the time. And it kind of scares me a little bit because I wonder, like, am I ever going to fail that test? Because that's a pretty hard test to fail, right? If you, when you push someone to stay because they're sick and because you need to get the job done or whatever it is, it's, uh, yeah, it's tough. I think that is um, such an important thing. The, uh, you know, like his example, like maybe he doesn't even communicate that to you, but these like conflicting I generally say like conflicting desires, you know, so say this individual is like has a desire to, to get X, Y, and Z done for the team, for project, et cetera, but then feels terrible and also has a desire to go crawl in bed and recover and things like that. So it's like, we get these all the time of, you know, conflicting desires in a, in a way they both align with our principles you know so it's like there's not necessarily a wrong path or a better path you essentially just don't know um because you might that day where you like push through and say you go to work and you're working on this thing maybe an hour later you're feeling you know, 50% better. And you're, you know, you're really kind of on the other side of it and you, you don't know, but even more so in uh relationships, like any sort of relationship, all of the time, these little conflicting desires type of thing. And we oftentimes don't even know it though. 
like in an example, like a dumb example is one person wants to get together for this podcast at 12, another at two, and it works well for this one at this time and the other person at this time. Someone has to essentially let go of their desire and be flexible to the other person. But that little thing is is really like an opportunity to like say the uh, in the way of letting go of like the person that is unbelievably passionate about environmental type of issues or, you know, the politics stuff that we brought up like that desire is a difficult one to loosen the grip on to let go of. I mean, it's just like. But we do get opportunities to do a long-winded ramble here. It does seem like we get opportunities, like often in small ways, to practice this discipline of perception or training our desires and aversions, even if it's simply, you know, letting go of the desire to do something at 12 and doing it at 2. You know, it's, it's weird how often if we can be aware of like what's going on within us, how often we get these opportunities to actually work on this stuff and apply, you know, philosophical exercises, I guess, if you will. Yeah. And I, I think maybe the secret to that is like, cause you, you mentioned, well, maybe it'd be better, it'd be better if he stayed at work, you know, in certain examples. And I think the key there is to be really present at that moment and, and, and evaluate it. And you could be wrong. You could yeah. always be wrong, but you have to do the kind of the, you know, cost benefit risk analysis there where, okay, if he feels better in, in a couple hours, well, he still had to work in a terrible condition for a couple of hours. And if he would have went home, maybe he could have did a half day, come back after lunch or something like that. So you have to do this, this little risk analysis, but yeah, it does seem to be, it does seem to be a matter of, of, uh, like you said, it's just that, that you don't know sometimes when you have those conflicting desires and, and sometimes it takes someone to, to kind of step out a little bit and remind you that, that there's, uh, there's something more important here. And I, I certainly, I, I can't tell everyone this, but the, the guys that I work with closely at work, like I'll tell them, like, I'll say, listen, I don't, I don't care if I rank you or whatever, like I'm going to be wrong a lot. And, and you need to tell me that I'm wrong. And that's, that's not an, uh, that's not a request. It's like you, you have to, like if I, if I'm, if we're doing something and I'm saying that this is safe or something like that, and you don't think it is like, you have to tell me because again, we lose sight all the time of what's most important with us by getting bogged down with the day-to-day stuff. And and you do see that with the, some climate activists where you know, if you were to say, is kindness on a top priority? Like if you were to say, have your values, kindness to one another is probably high on the list. They'd probably say, yeah. But then they get into a debate with someone and all of a sudden they're talking about this this climate and, and they're, they're seeing someone who's littering or something like that. And that just goes completely out the window. And then they start calling them names and this and that. And that's just an example of the climate, the climate people because we all do that, I think, to some extent. It's just, as, as you mentioned, be aware of where your vulnerabilities are and ideally have one or two people around you that's going to call you out on your bullshit 
And then you have to be in the right headspace to receive the calling out of your bullshit, which is also another challenge. But yeah, it's it's hard, man. It's really hard. The um I think something we've talked about probably many times, but it it is fascinating to me of um like name the virtue or name like the way that you want to live. You know, it's like I want to love everyone. But then there's this like human thing of when others we perceive their behavior to be in a way that is not reciprocal. We want to like withdraw from those principles that we like committed to that we want to live by. It's like, it seems so important to just like when it comes to setting those principles or like whatever it may be, that it's an unwavering thing. It really doesn't matter how anybody else is behaving. Like I'm not necessarily, and I think we would say this when we're not in a situation where we're, you know, influenced by some emotion, frustration, anger type of thing, negative passion. We would say like, yeah, absolutely. I It, it doesn't matter. Even if someone does X, Y, and Z, this isn't, for them, it's for me. I'm committing to, you know, being a virtuous person. Um, but that is like a, a unbelievably difficult thing. I think even, even not even in the situation, even just making a decision like that, there are many of us that won't quite... Um, commit to that it's like our our brain wants to say like well a uh, yeah but yeah but like you know does hitler deserve kindness you know or it's like i mean it's an extreme example but it's even like you know does the selfish guy named john at work you know deserve x y and z type of stuff that's uh that's, that's fascinating to me yeah it really is. Um, yeah, I know we, we weren't even prepared to talk about this topic, but <laughs> we've been really. Yeah, no. it's been an interesting one. It's so I find it. I find it just as a general comment. I find it so interesting that this happens a lot to you and I, but also just you know other people as well. Where like I I had so I had this example of this guy at work that did this thing right with with the sickness and sent him home that kind of thing, and then you actually. I think you started this topic, right? Like what we're talking about. I think you kind of started. Yeah. it. I mean, it was basically essentially if, um, observing some things in uh, like my friend and family type of group and then kind of question of, you know, how do we live a good life or virtuous life or flourish? And it made me think of it because we were talking before we hit record that you know, we're just feeling super grateful and, you know, re really things are going well. And it's like, how do you do that amidst, you know, the imperfections and some of the chaos and, you know, problems in the world? Yeah, I mean, certainly the guilt thing, but um, actually, yeah, we can talk about guilt maybe a little bit. But I, I, just, I just find it interesting that it's, it's always funny to me that 
you can come together and we, you know, we've gone off at the last, I don't know, the last time we spoke probably two weeks ago. We all, we go off and we live our own separate lives and then we, you come together and you have a chat and your experiences and my experiences kind of intertwine together and, and yeah. run the same theme. Um, that's always fascinating to me because, you know, this was something that I'm, I'm maybe in the back of my head. I said, I, I should probably bring that up. That's a good lesson, right? With the sickness, with the sick guy. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. It, it, it's just interesting to me how, how dialogue really brings out some of those, some of those things, the themes that we share, uh, and, and that we all share, I think in our lives is very interesting, but, um, but yeah, to, anyways, to get to circle back, yeah, the guilt thing, I think is what you're talking about, uh, which you might hear people say, it's like, how are you happy when the world's falling apart? How are you happy when World War Three is coming? How are you happy when the climate's falling apart? When we're enslaving animals, the list goes on and on and on and on. And and that is, I think you can get a guilt in your head where, <laughs> where you think, well, damn it, why am I happy? Maybe I shouldn't be happy. Maybe I should be not being happy and be doing something else. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. Um, one obviously feels a lot better than the other, but that's not always the best measure either, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But I generally think of, um, I could be totally wrong, but I am of the opinion, at least today, that the move is to learn to, live in the imperfection of it. And um, there's a quote by Montaigne, and I've been for the last five weeks kind of reading a lot of Montaigne for the Monday email that I've been putting out. But it's, um, you know, to live in the end is to live in imperfection and even embrace it. And I think there's parallels like with our own lives. Like, for example, like everything that we've talked about in terms of the world, you could say like, yeah, objectively, there's massive room for improvement, like lots of imperfection. But if you want to take that same lens, you know, or put the mirror in front of yourself and be like with a critical lens, like there's also massive room for improvement. Like I can say that myself, just massive room for improvement in terms of, you know, navigating and taking some sort of narrow gate and, you know, being a a virtuous person and stuff like that. But part of it is like, and, and that's like always going to be the case in a, in a certain way, sometimes more or less than others, but it's how do we live with that, imperfection with ourselves as well. You know, it's like there's a lot of wise people, I think, talking about acceptance or letting stuff go. It's like that opening passage of Anchoridian, like the deal of letting go of the things that are outside of your control is a difficult move. Like he's saying that because it's hard because it's super challenging. We want things to be in a certain way. Yeah, it is. Um, I like that idea of, of blending with the, with the imperfection of life. Because I think, like I agree, that's something that you just have to contend with. And, and it is. It is really hard to contend. And I guess from a, from a self-evaluation perspective, 
I share the same thing. I think you mentioned, I'll put my phrase on it, but I would say that I recognize more and more just how much of an asshole I am (laughs) with certain things, right? And it doesn't necessarily need to be manifested as action. It can be as simple as just a feeling you have towards someone or something or a certain situation. And, you know, you take, you take that apart a little bit and you think, well, that's not, that's not a virtuous thing at all. Like that's a, that's a very dark, nasty thought. And it's, it's kind of, you know, throwing the name of the podcast is kind of a paradox in the sense that, you know, if you were to ask me, am I a better person today than I was five years ago? I think so. I, I, I would say almost certainly at the same time, I also would say that I, maybe that I'm not a bigger asshole, but that I certainly see or understand more of the asshole-like things that I do or think. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thing, but I, I would agree that there's just, there's an infinite amount of things to work on in yourself. And and maybe, in fact, I would say almost definitely, that's probably the better answer as opposed to trying to fix the global world. Because you, for one, because you can't, um, yeah, I mean, you can't, it's, it's just, it's an impractical thing. There, there's so much, there's a lifetime of things for you to work on, on yourself. Yeah. And, and to a certain extent, I wonder, you know, if I called you up, it's like just really in a rough spot. Like I say, we got on this, this call today and, you know, I went on this 45 minute thing of man, what how my life is in, in shambles or, you know, whatever it may be, like, you know, went on this long list of all of these things. I think you might help me as a friend to maybe zoom out. We might do a little bit of the discipline of perception, might try to bring some objectivity in there instead of my, you know, just subjective opinion that I'm, I'm putting on things. And, and then think about like, you know, one, some of the things might be outside of my control of whether I can do anything about it. Like another thing is you'd probably ask like, you know, what's the smallest thing that I can do to, you know, step in the direction of changing some of the things that are within my control, but the like the misery and the suffering, you know, that spot of, of being in, of, of wanting to change so many things. I just, you know, like how, how helpful is that? And maybe you can go to the other extreme, which I think I can get to sometimes where there's like a, maybe an apathy for things that are outside my control. Like you can go to the, you know, the other extreme because there are some of these things that maybe are outside of our control, but we can influence in a, in a certain way, you know? Um, but I don't, I don't know, but I mean, there's so many people that are really, um, seem to be like, like creating more. It's like creating suffering that, doesn't necessarily need to be there. It's like, you know, additional suffering onto the thing. 
Um, does that make any any sense? Yeah, unnecessary suffering, and I think it's a matter of perspective. And just to kind of hit that home, you know, I know you mentioned it, but when we first started chatting today, the first thing we talked about was, man, my life is going really well right now. And you and you said, yeah, me too. Like I got nothing to complain about. I got a lot of gratitude and yada yada. And we spoke about that, and then we hit record. But I bet you, if I asked you, Josh Bertolotti. Can you tell me something that happened very recently, even today, that was unpleasant? I mean, I can come up with five, like right off the top of my head, of things that were just unpleasant, yeah. that, that were, let's say, a manifestation of imperfection in the world. And I think it would be as equally as easy, maybe as equally as likely, maybe more likely, to focus on those shitty things that happened, as opposed yeah. to thinking, no, actually, like, I I have a great life. Like, yeah, there was some crap that happened, but... There's always crap that happens. So I don't, it's not necessarily the case that, you know, it's, our lives aren't perfect. My life's not perfect. Your life's not perfect. I mean, there's challenges yeah. every day. Some of them more than others. Some days are worse than others in the, in the sense of, I guess, how much your virtue is challenged. But I don't know. I do think it is a matter of just like, what are you focusing on? What are you putting your attention towards? What 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 is your general consensus about the things that are outside of your control and, and, and how they come into your life. Like what, what is your perspective on that? And I think that is probably the, the biggest, uh, the biggest blue chip in terms of, you know, how, how you feel about your life in general. You know how the, uh, uh, Maxim know thyself inscribed at, um, at Delphi. There's, a. Uh, three that are actually inscribed most of the time it's just like the know thyself uh, i'm sure you're aware of this but some of the listeners might not be aware but one of them is certainty basically like leads to insanity or certainty is insanity you know something related to to that um i wonder sometimes you know, and like we can all do this. I, I definitely do where it's say there is something in terms of like the focus, something as man, I want to change this or this X, Y, Z, you know, better life, whatever it may be, some sort of calculation that we do. And it just doesn't like we just don't know. Like even any of the things of uh, like say the um, the person that is ultra concerned about technology and social media and everything or the political landscape or et cetera, et cetera. Like, it seems like oftentimes there's so much certainty. It's like this is the way it is right now and here is the fix. And oftentimes it's just far more complicated than that. I mean, there are PhDs. There's a group over here that might have an idea of here's some changes that we need to make to improve things. And then there's another group of like the smartest people in the world that have ideas of, of doing something different. You know, it's like there's, there's not. Like certainty is not necessarily 
possible. Like so often, it's just the world is uncertain. I mean, you know, I I get on the uncertainty kick soapbox type of thing. And uh, but it is like a weird thing of how I think it connects right there because our desire for something to be different, we have certainty that if this was different, then it's like we would be flourishing. And oftentimes it wasn't. Like you said, there's an infinite number. If this particular thing changed, there might be some other thing that would drive us, you know, in insane type of thing. This is an interesting one for me because when I think of certainty, I think of like certainty of, let's say, certainty of the process. And then I think about how if if you fall off the other end of the spectrum where you're not certain of anything, you kind of have the philosopher's conundrum where you overanalyze and you, you don't actually act in the world. Because for you to act in the world, you have to have some level of certainty. Uh, and certainty is like, is an extreme word, certain. It's it's 100%, yeah. right? But on that spectrum, let's say, of certainty, you you do have to have some level of that in order for you to be effective in the world. And And I certainly, like I've seen people that are really, really productive with things and they're so certain about the path and I don't know, man. I guess if I guess if the path is wrong, eventually reality is going to catch up with them, and it does. Maybe I don't know. That 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 that's a hard question. But but there certainly is this thing where, like I agree, you have to be you have to be very aware that you don't know everything. But then I think about practically. Let's say when I'm in the field managing a project, and I get a question. I got to be pretty damn certain, pretty damn fast. And depending on the complexity of it and the time sensitivity of it, I might be able to, you know, spend a bit more time thinking about it or asking the right people that know a bit more than me. But normally, it's like you just have to pick A or B. And and sometimes A is a better answer. Sometimes B is a better answer. Sometimes neither is the better answer. But someone has to kind of say A or B. And I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing because if you overanalyze it, the project's going to go on and it's going to get delayed and everything's going to fall apart. And I think that right there connects with the imperfection type of thing. And that's how it's like, to me, the uncertainty thing. So say you hit a fork in the road, just like you say, here's A, here's B. Now, even in situations where it's like you have a lot of data and, you know, in your type of stuff, like you can be 80% and A, boom, we're going. There's a possibility that maybe should have went B, this and that, but then, you know, you can correct and and move forward. But from a, just a, like a simple practical thing, like we were talking about the example of not feeling well, the person's there. A, go home, rest, recover. B, stay here, you know, get, get stuff done, support the team, like, et cetera. You just don't always know, but you have to you have to make a decision and almost be comfortable, get like super comfortable with the fact that you might be wrong and you really don't know because you can only pick one. So it comes back to like Kierkegaard and this thing of, you know, it doesn't matter what you pick, you're going to regret it either way. Not necessarily like regret it, but it's like the, um, you can't travel both paths. Like, get married and have kids single. Don't have kids. Like you have to, the, you know, like you've got to, 
pick one and you don't necessarily know, but you have to just make a move and navigate the uncertainty of life. And um, like some of these artists and stuff from the past, or I, I think they have some like beautiful sayings in terms of just like making mistakes, like make a decision, keep moving forward. There's no perfect path or, or like straight lines, you know, if you will, which we all know that type of stuff, but we've heard it a million times. Well, I, I can tell you where this gets really frustrating as someone that's involved in projects as like a project manager is it's very, very common in the industry to, let's say you have a, a project manager and he's running a project and he's making decisions as he goes along, the best he or she thinks at the time based on their experience and wisdom and all this stuff. And then you'll have, normally you'll have at the end of the project, kind of like a teamwork collaboration. Sometimes you'll have people that are not managing the project that might be other managers in the company. So you have this 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 meeting and you're basically dissecting how the project could have done better. Like how could it have done better? Could you have made better decisions and that kind of thing? Kind of like a lessons learned situation. It's very tempting, and I've done this myself as, as a young guy getting involved in projects, where you, you're looking back at the course of the project and you're thinking, well, you made a shit decision there, man. Like that, that was a bad decision. And it's so easy to do that from where you're sitting right now. But that's not the, ac- the most accurate picture because when you're actually in the process of it, when you're in the middle of the project, you don't always see all ends. You can't always see all ends. You don't have the information that, you, that, you do, that you're going to have in the future. And, and so it's, 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 I guess it's an act of humility just in general. I mean, I'm talking about projects, but just in general, when you look at someone's life and they made a mistake or they did something wrong, they made a bad decision. So tempting to say, well, of course that was a bad decision, but, but you didn't walk in their shoes. Like you're looking at this at the, at the finish line going, well, you should have tied your laces a mile ago. It's like, you're, you're, you're not, you're not putting yourself really in that situation. Um, and so, you know, I mean, the, the solution there is you ask yourself, well, was my reasoning sound? Was their reasoning sound? Is there things that they could have done better? Is there things they could have known better? And if the answer is yes, well, you adjust it and you get better and you move forward. But I still think that you have to have that air of humility in projects, but just in general, that when you look at a decision that somebody made that you don't think is the right decision, man, you have no idea what you're talking about. You Let's say you understand the situation they're in right now. You definitely... Even if you can put their shoes on right now, you you can you couldn't have walked their entire life in their shoes up leading up to that decision. So you really don't know, and I, I guess it's just a a lesson of like just don't judge people, don't and don't judge yourself either because we're all kind of on this journey. Yeah, and like don't judge yourself, but also understand what a decision is. Like you know, oftentimes decisions that get more complex or difficult like go up the chain and like the higher up it is, the more complex those decisions are. I mean, they're essentially trade-offs. There's no sort of right answer. There's a simple like trade-off like to keep it um, like super basic. You know, if you have kids, dinner, kids, you have a normal nine to five job, but you want to go exercise. You know, you want to be healthy in, in some sort of way. Take care of your body. Well, oftentimes, like, that 
45 minutes that you're going to exercise is time that you could have spent with your kids. You know, like there are just decisions like over and over. There's a path A, there's a path B, and there isn't necessarily like a right path. Like you have to discern wisely, like spending an extra 45 minutes with your kids and maybe, you know, cleaning the house or cooking dinner. Nice. Like that's a good path, but also taking time and making sure that you're taking care of yourself and you can't necessarily do both those things like every allotted hour of time for the most part. I mean, that's obviously simplistic, but in those decisions like that you're talking about, it's, you know, as definitely in hindsight and like even in the moment, it just looks like we can look at these things as no brainers, like even these difficult situations that we were talking about in the world unbelievably complex there isn't i mean yes there are definitely things you can do that you know as a society that maybe we don't do to you know improve x y or z but it's not near as clear cut as you know the the average person like you and i looking at these things might might think if it was so simple somebody would have probably you know, fixed it or done it, or we wouldn't be in that predicament, you know? I don't think anything is simple anymore. I really don't. I I just think things are so, so complicated. And I I don't even think we have the cognitive abilities to, um, to really dissect it. And I don't mean you and I, I mean, just humanity. I mean, as as smart as we are, I think there's so much that's beyond our understanding. Uh, I want to throw you this though, because uh, I have an interesting example of this. I see, uh, I go to a CrossFit, CrossFit gyms every now and then to weightlift, and I was in one in Sydney, Nova Scotia, where I was working working on this project, and I saw this single mother, presumably a single mother, I, I don't know her, but she had her kid in there who's probably two, probably two or three, so he's running around and causing havoc, and I just thought that was so interesting because there's every excuse in the book for her not to go to the gym. There's every excuse for her to get pissed off at the kid because she's ruining his workout because she has to catch him and bring him back and 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 even ruining, you know, because it's CrossFit, so you're doing things for time and for reps and she's getting, let's say, uh, less of an outcome that she would want bec- and, and that she's capable of without the kid because the kid is there. And I just think that's that's kind of this idea of flexibility that you were talking about. It's like, okay, I have this choice. I can go to the gym or I can go to my kid or I can bring the kid to the gym. And you have a decision to make there. And she obviously chose both, that she could probably do some bonding with her kid and go to the gym. But then there's there's a compromise of expectation there as well because obviously this isn't, it's quality time with the kid, but maybe not as focused as it could be. And then there's also a compromise because she can't get as well, as good of a workout in as maybe she would want to and a focus in there. And I just think that it it would be so easy for her to get pissed off in that situation. Right. And, and I saw her, they were doing like laps back and forth and the kid was running around. So she just picked him up in her arms and like ran the laps with, with the kid in her arms and that probably slowed her that's probably slowed her down by half, right? And uh I don't know, it was just a really encouraging thing for me to to see that it's like is that a bad thing? It's like that's an opinion. 
Maybe this, maybe the kid, when he turns 12 or 13 or 15 or 30, is going to look back and say, yeah, I remember when I was at CrossFit with my mom and she was running around and I was like ruining her workout, and but we still had a laugh. Like that's, I don't know, it's a beautiful thing. I love that, man. Dude, that is awesome. I can picture her carrying, you know, the <laughs> this two-year-old. Um, it's like adding to the workout too, a little extra, a little weighted, weighted action going. But like that is, that's in a way of um, like the imperfection type of thing of, of having some psychological flexibility, which is that when it comes to the discipline of perception, you know, testing your impressions and stuff like that and reframing, get a, a view from above, like essentially they're all exercises in psychological flexibility of, you know, what can you do, you know, with what you have, like where you are. You know, it's okay. Like, it's, it's just do something rather than nothing. And then at the end of that, like, be grateful for what you got to do. Like, you got to do that. Um, like, everything is complex and complicated. Like, I get what you're saying, and I, I, I definitely agree to a certain extent. But let me ask, like, in terms of... Um, like the lens of gratitude or choosing to be grateful. Like, is that complicated? I mean, it's not easy, but it seems like that could be straightforward in the way of like, I get to. Yes. And no, I think, I think it's easy again from our perspective, but like, let's, let's paint the picture of someone that's 13 years old that has grown up in a really wealthy family that has never had to, never been said no. Like, I want an iPad. Sure. I want the latest iPhone. Sure. I want this. I want that. Sure, sure, sure. And I think for you to have gratitude, you have to take your current situation and compare it to another situation, either a better situation or a worse situation, depending on what it is. I think in some sense, you have to have that perspective because if you don't have that perspective, I don't think you can really appreciate what you have. So I, I have so much gratitude, not all the time, but occasionally I'll think about this where I go outside and it's just peace. Like it's quiet. People are getting along and you see neighbors talking. Like I get, I get a lot of joy from that because I've read so much World War II history that I know the darkest elements of human psychology so I, I guess I would say yes, it's it's kind of easy, but I think I think you need to to have perspective, and I think you need to just spend some time to understand what that is, and and I I, I just I feel I feel bad in some sense for let's say teenagers that are born into wealth, which is kind of an odd thing to say, but I think a lot of times they do lack perspective on on how a lot of people suffer with and struggle with money you know, a lot of people struggle with that. And, and, and a lot of people, maybe they even have more money, but yeah, I don't know. I, th I think, uh, I think you need to, you need to know, you need to have perspective. You need to understand that things could be worse and, and that it's a, it's a real possibility. It's not something that's in la la land could be here right now. It's just not for you. Yeah. What about the idea of just trusting that say Epictetus to use that opening quote that we've talked about 
what's up to us, what's not up to us. Just saying, like, there are things that this person knows that I don't know. There's a reason that that has, you know, lasted and is seen as practical wisdom 2,000 years, you know, later. And just simply trusting that that's the move. Like if we think sometimes about, uh, you know, we're on some sort of board board game, we're navigating our way through life or like a chessboard, you know, there is such a thing as like statistically, like, you know, this is the, this is the move. Like this is what you, what you do here. It's never perfect. You know, it's like in terms of blackjack, like there is a, thing of here's the move for the NFL coach. There is like a time of statistically when you go for two, but it's not perfect. It's never guaranteed, you know, that it's going to lead to quote unquote, you know, success, but it's like, you know, this is the move. Like, how can I just take this piece of practical wisdom's word for it? Yeah. I think I think it's just I think it's just a matter of of practicing it enough and getting a bit of faith and then you build up a bit of momentum and you start to start to trust it a bit more. I mean it's it's hard. Like it's hard to convince people what the way is. And then maybe you shouldn't. Maybe maybe you should let them figure out their own damn way. But even for you I don't know, man. It's 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 tricky. It's easy for me to say now that Something resembling the Stoic path is the way to go. But I don't know. Is it? Maybe. Probably. I mean, it's it's stood the test of time to some extent. Is it for everyone? I don't know. It's weird. And then I, I, I also could definitely see the path that I'm born into a Christian family and I become a Christian. Like, I could probably, probably see that happening if I was born a, a few hundred years ago. I mean, certainly my... My older relatives were are, are religious. Like my grandfather was religious, and so um, it's an interesting thing. I, I want to bounce something off you that um, I heard Robin Williams talk about. What the hell was this in? Oh, it was in uh, Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> oh yeah. Nice. So this is interesting. So he's talking about his his wife, and he's explaining to this uh, this young punk that all these little silly goofy things that his wife used to do. Um, and he, he, he basically makes the point that imperfections, her imperfections in particular, was what made her his wife. And so I've been thinking about that a bit lately, that, because, we, you know, we've been talking about imperfections, imperfections, but in a sense, isn't that what gives you ownership over something in some degree? And I'm using ownership in, in, a, in a rough sense, but, like, let's imagine you have you have a wife, and I'm sure, let's say... I don't know, people see your relationship and they might see it if they don't know you well. Like, God, that's a perfect relationship and she's beautiful and he's handsome and they, they, seem, they have these wonderful kids and yada, yada, yada. But then you ask either of those partners, hey, is this guy perfect or is she perfect? And they'll come up with this long list of no, no, no. <laughs> like, yeah. Doesn't put his drawers in the laundry basket and doesn't clean the dishes and yada, 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 yada. And isn't, isn't, that what makes it yours though like because that that's the that's the part that 
only you get to see. Like you have a wife and you have children. There's things about your wife that only you get to see. And a lot of those things are probably, you define them as imperfections. But that's what makes her your wife. That was his point in the movie. And I, I think that's a beautiful idea. And I'm wondering how you think about that and if that applies to just everything in general. You know, like we've been talking about like this imperfect world. And like sometimes I think about that in the way of like uncertainty, you know, like in a way it's like, oh, we don't like the uncertainty, you know, it brings about anxiety and stuff like that. Like we know from, from research and stuff like that. But imagine if we lived in one of these simulated perfect type of things where it was like, you know, everything was certain, everything was essentially, you know, perfect. I think you've said before, and maybe, maybe an episode or something like that, or one of our conversations, like, We'd be bored to death. You know, it, we would just be miserable to a certain extent, you know, in some sort of artificial, you know, world. Um, but I, I think these things connect with like deep perennial questions. I, I heard in some sort of documentary people were asking, um, someone was asking Pope Francis about basically the standard question of, you know, what about evil? And, you know, he essentially said that, you know, for there to be love, there, there has to be evil. Like, love has to be free. You have to, if love is something that is not connected with with the freedom someone you know choosing to love it doesn't exist so it's like because that freedom has to exist then obviously there's freedom to do harm there's freedom for you know people to act out of greed and hate and darkness but then how else do you have love? Um, and it's, it's maybe not surprising to anybody listening like to hear that in a way, but it's worth thinking about for a bit. You know, the, the fact that it's like, like, what's the other way? You know, like, is it possible to have something an, another way like is it possible to have you know some sort of uh perfect world and then like like that montaigne quote and even to embrace it or instead of embrace like even to love it despite all of the imperfections in the world is a is a deep idea to really think about in terms of how do we love ourselves despite all of these imperfections how do we love others despite of all of the imperfections how do we love the world you know in spite of all of these imperfections like these things apply 
as you just keep going, going out. But it's like, you know, what's the other move? Like, what's the alternative? Um, it's like a tough question. Yeah, and I would even take it a step further. I would say loving for imperfections as opposed yeah. to despite. I'll, I'll give you a great example, man. Yeah. My, uh, my grandmother, she died last year from, uh, from cancer. But um, she, she was so clumsy, man. Like, unbelievably clumsy. Like, every time we bring in groceries, she she drop bags of groceries and smash eggs and smash jars. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was just, it's the, it was the funniest thing. It was kind of one of those family jokes where it's like, God, Nan's so clumsy. And every, every time someone would trip or fall down, we'd say, oh, you're, you know, you're just like Nan. You know how you, we know who you take after. And th- that's an interesting thing because I also see, and I've probably done this myself if I really reflect, you see people get pissed off at people when they're clumsy, which is kind of an interesting thing, right? Getting pissed off at people for, for making mistakes. <laughs> but <laughs> you could easily see the situation where, you know, uh, Nan brings in four cartons of eggs in a grocery bag, trips going up the stairs, drops the eggs, smashes every single one, and you were so happy because you just got a deal on these eggs. And it's easy to say, oh, my God, man, you're so clumsy and get pissed off about that. Yeah. And then that's, that's a response. Or you can laugh and you could say, God, you're so clumsy. <laughs> like, we, we just bought these eggs, four dozen eggs. We got a deal on them and you just smashed them. And now we got to clean it up here and the neighbors are watching. Oh, my God, you're so clumsy. So I, I don't know. I, that, that's, I think that's an interesting example because there's a clear there's a clear consequence for being clumsy that isn't preferable in some ways. Like you don't, nobody wants to destroy groceries you just bought or no one wants to stub their toe or anything like that. But in this example, I mean, this was something that we we loved about her. It it wasn't a oh my god, Nan's clumsy and that's it wasn't a bad thing. It's like no, no, Nan's yeah. clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> so and then I I don't see why you can't have that opinion perspective response about all of every everyone's imperfections there's um a zen saying that that goes something like like you're absolutely perfect the way you are and there's a few things that you could work on which i think has come up come up before And it's weird to think of that as, um, in one way, like indefinite, like that is just like, there isn't a place many decades from now where that doesn't apply. Like that there's not a few things that you could work on. And, uh, I, I swear there's one, one guest that I had on. I think this will always stick with me though, but she says like that, um, she wrote the book, You Belong, Sebene Selassie is her name. And she says that second sentence sounds like a slight, like, oh, and by the way, there's a few things you could work on, but she says it's actually an opportunity. It's an act- actually an opportunity for real love. Because like the first part, you know, it's like you're absolutely perfect the way you are. 
you know, the beautiful thing about love is it's like, you know, there's a grace to it. You know, there's this imperfection. There's the clumsiness. There's the messiness of like us and the, and the world. You know, it's just the it's a messy type of um, thing. You know, but it that always sticks with me that it's like well, it's actually an opportunity. I think that's probably the best thing you can give someone. Yeah. You know, I think that that is like the purest form of love is to look at someone that's, I don't know, clumsy, always spilling stuff, making a mess, and to just just accept it and and not and more than accept it, but to enjoy it, to to make light yeah. of it, to laugh at it, to to form love out of it. I think that's that's the opportunity you're talking about. And and I guess that that really resonates with what Robin Williams said. It's like you have more to work on. It's like there's things about you that fall short of the ideal, but that's an opportunity for you to love yourself and it's an opportunity for me to love you and I got a few things I can work on, so it's also an opportunity for you to love me. And and I I really think that I mean that's been my experience is I think some of the sweetest fruits of of relationships are those moments. It's when you screw up or you do something stupid or dumb and the person doesn't punish you for your for making mistakes. Yeah. I, I heard Will Smith say this and it just it really hit me hard. He said, You can't punish people for making mistakes. And God, I th- I think that is that is the that that's what love is, man. It's falling short, making mistakes, screwing up, dropping these damn eggs, and not yeah. not punishing you for it, accepting you for it, making light of it, laughing about it having the right perspective about it, that it's just a few eggs. And it's, I think it's really what we all want in terms of relationships, in terms of whatever it may be. Um, You know that I'm practicing Catholic and stuff like that. And there's this thing of um, Catholic guilt you know how there's this this focus. They they really want to, in a way, hammer home this idea that, you know, you're a person that makes mistakes. Like you're a you're a sinner. It's a common um, Jesus prayer that where you say this over and over. And I'm not necessarily against that. That is like one side of the coin. But then, you know, the other side from a Christian perspective is the fact that. You have God's grace and that there is this thing of mercy and that there is this thing of love. It's like in spite of all that. And sometimes I think when when we as humans can stress something, it's very difficult for us to stress like both sides of the coin. It's like you're perfect the way you are and there's a few things that you could work on. Like how do you hold both of those at the same time? You're a sinner and, you know, you you have God's grace. It's all good from a Christian perspective. Um, There's so much of these things. And I think that's a bit of the paradoxically speaking stuff of how, how do you talk about both sides of things? Like how do you put an and in the middle of things and hold, you know, hold it at the same time and be all, all, all good with it. Yeah. And, and I've, 
I've seen that as well, this idea of, you know, <laughs> recognizing people that you love and accepting them or, or even loving them for those imperfections, so those two paradoxic viewpoints. But I think I've also found myself getting caught up on the reverse end of that, which is maybe people that care about me, and I know they care about me, not even criticizing, not even meaning it in a harmful way, but just kind of joking or laughing or bringing up some of my imperfections. So when I was young, for example, I was really cheap, and I'm still pretty frugal. But that's kind of like one of the running jokes in my family is I'm the cheap one. And, um, and my family or most of my family are not cheap at all. So it's, it's, it's kind of, I'm like the outlier, but it's interesting because you, I could almost see this and I have seen this in the past where you see that as, as a bit of a slight, it's like, Oh, maybe you even think, well, maybe, maybe they don't love me or maybe they won't love me because of this, because they all laugh, they're all laughing that I'm cheap. But I think the truth is, at least in this situation and in any situation where they actually genuinely love you, that's not the right perspective to have. The right perspective to have is, no, no, they love me despite that. They yeah. love me, in, in the ideal case, they love me for that. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a slight. It's not a bad thing. And again, I think it's just a matter of, of having the right perspective about it. And, and, and I think it's, for, for me now, I see that, and it's not, it doesn't make me feel bad. It, it brings me joy, actually. Because yeah. it's like, if you thought, let's, let's take you and I, for example. If you thought that I was perfect, and let's say you have all this love and respect for me. Yeah, that's great. What if you had the same amount of love and respect for me, and you knew all of my deepest, darkest thoughts, and you knew that I was an asshole, and you knew that I'm imperfect, and I make mistakes all the time? To me, that's, that's way more, more valuable of a love versus yeah. loving someone because you have this idea that they're perfect in your head. It's just not the case. Definitely. And that's a, I think in a way like that's an exercise of the discipline of perception that we initially get an impression that pops up, which happens for like so many of us, um, something around or closely connected to like, am I loved or I'm not necessarily loved in some sort of way. And it's, it's a subjective type of thing. Like it's not necessarily the large majority of the time, some objective type of thing. And it's something that we can actually work with and try to get objective about it and, you know, remind it. And, and I think that's a beautiful example that you provided. And oftentimes for many of us, it is connected with that, that we are loved and we are, you know, and people do wish us well in spite of any sort of mistakes, any sort of, you know, um, obstacles and, you know, trips along the way as we navigate our life. Tough to realize that though. Very tough. But you see, if you look, man, you'll see manifestations of that everywhere. You know, like, like again, I, it's how, how common is it to get pissed off at someone when they, when they're clumsy and they break something? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's such a common response. And then I think it's, it's maybe equally as common to have that clumsy person in your family that you love and that you laugh at and that it's a big joke in your family and they, they're, they're fine with it and they know they're clumsy like that. Those are two options. I think it's, it's a really, 
It's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. I guess we should probably wrap it up soon. We should probably mention, paradoxically speaking, premium on Substack. Should we yeah. probably bring that up? Yeah, I think that's the best place. Um, I know I haven't done a, a great job of, of spreading the word in terms of where to find paradoxically speaking, but I guess a couple different options. You can obviously find it wherever you listen to podcasts, but if you want all of the episodes that we, that we put out, then you'd have to go to Substack. Um, consider becoming a member. If you'd like to become a member, but can't afford it for any reason, reach out to any one of us. And we are extremely happy to give you a complimentary membership so you can get access to, all the episodes that we put out. Yeah. And I would just say, cause we have gotten uh, some requests for the free membership and you don't even have to say why, like just, just yeah. request one. You, I don't, we don't need to know why just, well, if you're requesting one, we'll accept that you're requesting it for a reason or, or maybe there's no reason we don't really care. So if yeah. you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. Just request one. We do appreciate the, you know, the, the premium, users as well that that pay into it because it does help out the the show but uh but again absolutely more than happy to provide complimentary service and find it anywhere and everywhere i think we're mostly on spotify apple podcasts and obviously Substack. but uh yeah free episodes every two weeks and premium stuff if you're if you want to dig a bit deeper nice what's um maybe as a way to wrap up any Anything new in terms of the strong stoic or anything like that that you've been up to that's worth sharing? I don't know if there's anything worth sharing. <laughs> I've, I've somewhat scaled back the strong stoic. I've, I've just been doing weekly episodes, which has actually been kind of nice in some sense because I've been two episodes a week for like two and a half years. So it was, it's kind of nice to uh, to just breathe a little bit because I've been uh, really overworked and um, nice. and I'm, I'm working a lot at uh, on my profession my work but uh but yeah definitely i would say i'm still doing uh, guest episodes there and 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 solo episodes every week so definitely check that out uh, if anyone is interested but um yeah strong strength stoicism pretty much the <laughs> the themes of my life <laughs> nice nice um i've got one thing to share with the listeners in terms of a uh, course that I'm going to be offering. I don't have the exact date nailed down, but I think something like the first week of May, maybe like five or six weeks, calling it perennial habits. And then um, on Substack, probably for about a month up to that, I'm really going to do a deep dive in terms of the science and psychology around habits and explore a lot of different things and hopefully take that into apply to some of these lifelong habits that I am into like meditation, contemplation, journaling, um, dichotomy of control, which we talked about today, the view from above memento mori. So there's many of these things that I, I call perennial habits in the way of lifelong practices, but also ancient practices that have, you know, existed for thousands of years and will probably exist for thousands of years to come should throw on ice plunging into that perennial habit yeah. list i don't know if epictetus nice. did any ice plunging but uh <laughs> i bought a i bought an ice uh, chest freezer and i've been using that for my ice bath so you you plug it nice. in and make sure you unplug it so you don't die 
when you actually get in the damn thing. But yeah, it cools down the water. It gets a pretty damn cold. So uh, yeah, steps towards virtue is immerse yourself in freezing water every day for, <laughs> for a few minutes. Nice. <laughs> Thank you.